Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another broadcast on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio, hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. Comments made on tonight's broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Blog Talk Radio, the Soul of America Radio, or its host. Hope and Healing takes you from a place of pain, abuse, violence, rejection, and abandonment to a place of hope, healing, and power. All aboard with your author, activist, advocate, and friend, man of purpose himself, and your host for the evening, Mr. J.R. Diglett. Yeah. you listen in. 
Now, at any given time, you have a question and or comment, simply hit the number one on your keypad. That allows our engineer to know that you want to come on the airway, and we'll get you on the airway. Now, you don't have to give your name. You're not your whole name. You don't have to give your name at all. But what we would like to do is have a very engaging conversation with you as it relates to this issue of domestic violence and sexual violence today. For those of you that are listening now for the very first time, I really invite you. Now, if you have any really compelling questions and perhaps you don't want to come on the air, I want you to go to this email address, okay, transforminglives2000, transforminglives2000 at gmail.com. That is how you reach us. That is how you can find us here. Those of you that are following us on social media, you can find us on Facebook pages, quite a few there. You can find us on the page Domestic Violence, It Is Your Business. That's one of our Facebook pages, an open group page. Then we have the antithesis of that, which I call our page of uplifting, inspiration, praise, and, and all the great things that causes us to feel better and feel that we have contributed to life. That is our destiny by choice, too. Fellowship page, you can find that on Facebook. And then there's another page you can find, of course, it's the J.R. Thicklin page on Facebook, and there are many more to come, Sons of uh, a Son of Selma Lesson Learned. All of these are Facebook pages. And I tell you that now because I want you to stay tuned with us in terms of what we're doing. Over the next couple of months, there's going to be some transformations and things that will be changing on the broadcast and changing on our social media page, and we're excited about it because I believe that this is global what we're doing, and as we reach so many. Each and every week, we have the opportunity to discuss many of the things that are so painful and that are such a tragedy in our society, whether it's uh, domestic violence happening to families or the whole family or individuals, whether or not it's law enforcement and tragedies that are happening there, whether or not it's a combination of the, of the two. We, unfortunately, have uh, been able to address so many subject matters, and not unfortunately that we've been able to address them, but so many tragic and horrific issues and situations that have taken place. And because of that, we know that we must give it a voice in terms of that. Now, we have different guests that are on from time to time, and I do want to say this to you that is so very important. We uh, were scheduled originally to have another guest on today, and she uh, probably is listening in on it, but she's going to be with us on next week. We're going to have a survivor as well as a uh, as a uh, advocate and, and, uh, and an individual that will be able to help us on next week, Sharon Doherty. Uh, she will be on as our special guest next week. You want to hear this very tragic and this very powerful yet triumphant story. For those of you that may be listening, you know someone, or you yourself may know someone who may be in a situation even now where there are things happening in secret that have not been exposed yet. Many times people are suffering in silence. People are being assaulted and, and abused even by those that are closest to them and never felt like they had a voice in a, or a, a, a outcry to be able to find help. I believe that you'll find that this show here will do tremendous things to help you inside of that. Now, I want you to know this. Inside of so many things that are going on there, I want you to also visit Harlem World. That's another uh, Harlem World. It's another uh, Facebook page you can find. Harlem World, uh, you'll find there, uh, who's very instrumental in doing a lot of administrative, just executive things there. So that's a way that you can find yourself being able to connect with someone that is able to connect you to others. And so I want you to make sure that you chime in with us on today. Now, tonight, one of the reasons that our show kind of took the turn is because of the fact there is some news that has definitely been circulating and is trending 
in a lot of different places. And I wanted to break this news to you that is going on, and it's a very horrific story that uh, have taken place here in the state of Florida, and more particularly has taken place in our central Florida area, in the areas there of what we call uh, central Florida, in the area of Sanford, Florida, Lake Mary, Florida, and it's been a tragic situation that has taken place. And I want to get a chance to share this with you, and as I'm doing so, I'm inviting others to share in with us. Many of our Facebook followers and friends are there, and they're listening, but I want to share a story that is just, um, it is heartbreaking, it is tragic, it is an egregious act of violence. And there's so much that have happened. But I believe that we have to understand that we have an opportunity to do some things about it. And we need to learn from this very uh, tragic story here. This uh, story takes place in Seminole County, which, once again, is out of part of uh, Orlando in the Sanford area. Matter of fact, it takes place in almost three different areas because there's three different events that actually happens in this situation. Now, Starts off in Sanford at a Chili's restaurant there off Lake Mary Boulevard, ends up uh, from there to Altamont Springs, then back, if you would, to Lake Mary, Florida, and we have some situation happen here. And I want to read the headline to you, Florida man stabs, run over wife, kills children, then self. Now, this story takes place, a Florida man stabbed his wife, ran her over with a vehicle, and then after driving driving to pick up his young children, killed them, and then himself. Young man, the alleged uh, perpetrator is Henry Ramon Brown, age 30, reportedly was waiting for his estranged wife in the trunk of her car outside of Sanford's Chile about 10 p.m. on Sunday. This is yesterday evening, yesterday night. I want you to hear this. He was waiting for his estranged wife in the trunk of her car outside of a Sanford Chili's. About of course, Chili's one of my uh, favorite restaurants there. But and there he's waiting in the back of the trunk of her car. And when Sharika Brown, uh, uh, Sharicia Brown, 31, came out of the Lake Mary Boulevard restaurant, Henry Brown jumped out and stabbed her several times, according to Seminole uh, uh, Sheriff's Department, uh, Dennis Lima. Then he dumped the woman's body in the bushes outside of the restaurant and ran to the rear of the building and got into his vehicle, according to this investigator. A few minutes later, Henry Brown drove, the, drove around the building and ran over his wife and two people assisting her. The two individuals that was assisting the woman were medical professionals who were dining at the restaurant. They were taken to the hospital, which one was released and, out, and the other one was uh, listed in stable condition. Brown then drove to an apartment complex in Altamont Springs, and I can tell you this is where he lived, and changed vehicle and picked his two children, ages one and and four, from a babysitter. He drove to the Central Florida Regional Hospital, arriving about 1225 a.m. in an attempt to locate his wife, but he was immediately recognized by deputies. Now, Brown began to open fire on the deputies and security personnel at the hospital. Deputies returned to fire, but the man reportedly was able to make it back to his truck and drive away. His vehicle was quickly located by deputies who was able to disable the truck. When the deputies approached at the vehicle, they found Brown had killed the two children and then himself. Now, people, let me say this to you. This is heart-wrenching. This is heart-wrenching. This is mind-blowing. This is a tragic 
situation that have happened here. And I have the opportunity to do a little bit more research on this particular case here and to give you some more updates inside of it is that this situation here has not only uh, escalated to something that was just horrific, that we end up with a formalicide there where he's not only killed the wife, but he killed the children, one-year-old and four-year-old, a daughter and a son, respectively, all in a matter of moments here as it relates to this whole situation. Now, some people ask a question, how could it get this way? What could cause a person to, in this manner, how did it get to this place? And I want you to know this thing got to this place because there are a lot of things. There's a lot of things that happened here. There's a lot of things that took place. There are a lot of things that was caused uh, pause inside of this situation. And I want you to know that inside of this, that what we see here is the fact of a situation that got even worse as time went on. From what I understand is that there was a restraining order, an injunction order, that was actually taken out in December. That literally this uh, Mr. Brown was charged with domestic battery in November of 2015. And being that there was not enough evidence for the uh, state attorney there in Seminole County to press charges, Mr. Brown ended up not being prosecuted inside of this case. And they were estranged from one another. And yet it's still this guy continued to pursue her, continued to not only uh, uh, stalk her, but eventually, as you see, took her life. Now, this is tragic for a number of reasons. This is tragic because of the fact not only was this young lady uh, killed tragically. I mean, could you imagine, as many of us do, perhaps we go and grab something to eat when we leave work or on our way from work, uh, after a hard day work. We may grab something to eat, grab something to drink, and she stopped in at their local Chili's restaurant. There are a number of questions that are yet to be answered. Number one, how did he end up in the trunk of her car? Well, the fact that he was a strange husband, then we know that he more likely had a set of keys to the car. But the other part about that is goes a little further than that, folks. And it's the fact that this individual here was relentless in carrying out what he wanted to do. He was relentless in, in taking her life. He was relentless. Because even after this happened, I want you to hear what I'm saying. Even after this happened, he made his every attempt to go back to the hospital. He was trying to make sure that she was dead. And they tried to make sure that she was dead, people. He did not stop. He spared nothing. And this is unfortunately tragedy because, the fact, these things happen way too often inside of this. They happen way too often. We see those things happening here in our, in our communities, in our society, all around the globe, all around the state. And too many times people are left with more questions than are answers. But I want you to understand that this is so tragic. I mean, think about it. Here it is. This is a strange husband, number one. He hid in the trunk of his wife's car on Sunday. And when she went to leave the chillies, he jumped out and stabbed her repeatedly. Then he ran over his estranged wife and two people trying to help her. Sharifia was rushed to the Central Florida Hospital where she was pronounced dead. 
Brown, in the meantime, goes back to Altamont Springs to the apartment complex, and he did two things, folks. He changed from his, the car, which he had got out of the trunk, picked up his F-150. That's right. He was driving the F-150, changed into that, gets the kids from the babysitter, age one and four, one-year-old daughter, four-year-old son. Then he goes there to the hospital where she was, where he knew that they would take her. And then, folks, he gets in a shootout with the security personnel and the deputies there. He takes off, gets back in his truck, and he's gone. And as they go to chase him and find him, they disable the truck. They was able to do that. But when they get to him, they find that he has shot and killed both his son and daughter before turning the gun on himself. Now, listen, I've seen a lot of tragic situations in my lifetime. This is all over social media. It's all over some places here, and it is just tragic. If you will look at some pictures there on Facebook and uh, different social media where you see them in what seem to be happier times, where he's holding the babies and she's holding the babies and the kids there. But folks, this is, this is a problem. See, let me, let me share something with you. This is a young couple. Henry Brown married Sharicia, who was an operation clerk in 2012. She gave birth to his son, Henry Brown IV, that same year. But they split in December after a domestic violence incident. So I'm telling you here something that was brewing over a period of time. They split in December over a domestic violence incident. Henry had been possessive controlling. He had been wielding his will upon her for a long time. And this is the tragic outcome that has happened, people. And oftentimes left without voice. And we want to dig into it because there must be a response, a community response to this. How do we have how do we deal with this? How do we really go forth inside of this? The trauma that has happened. Imagine even if the patrons there at that Chili's restaurant and even more so the two individuals, the medical personnel, I believe it was a nurse and a paramedic who who refused to be just bystanders, but they came to the aid of trying to assist Sharicia Brown only to have Henry to turn back around and then run her over and run them over. Area code 323-784-9638. That is how you reach us tonight, area code 323-784-9638. I want to get your opinion on this. I want to get your insight on this and what do you think that possibly could have happened. And uh, let's hear from you today. Area code 323-784-9638. That is how you reach us. You listen to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. I want to take your calls uh, right after this commercial break. If you have a question and a comment, simply hit number one. Hit the one on your keypad, and we'll get you on the airway. Once again, thank you for listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. Right after this break, we're taking your questions and your comments.
This is the soul of America Radio. Thank you for listening to J.R.L. Thicklin, Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. We feature every Monday night a show solely devoted to people that are going through abuse, some type of problem in your lives that you can't work out. We mainly focus on domestic violence, the cancer in our lives. Join J.R.L. Thicklin, your host, here every Monday night. At 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 8 o'clock p.m. Central, right here on the Soul of America Radio. You can contact Jay every Monday night at 323-784-9638. Or you can listen to him online. Just follow at soulofamericaradio.com and listen for look for live streams. And that way you can speak or listen, whichever your choice may be. Thank you for joining us tonight. You're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin, on the Soul of America Radio. If you're listening via internet and you want to speak to the host, please dial 323-784-9638 and press 1 to be connected to the host. This is the Soul of America Radio. Here's your host, J.R. Thicklin. I still look over my shoulder every day. And the fear's still there. This woman was a victim of domestic abuse. She has chosen to conceal her identity because even though she is free, the fear is still there. For her, getting the courage to leave the comfortable life she knew and not return was the hardest part. I left 11 times. She tried therapy and counseling, but nothing stopped the abuse. I thought that, you know, if I loved him enough, that he would love me back. Ultimately, it was the concern for her children that made her leave. When I saw it affecting my children... I guess that was what really made my mind up. For this victim and some others, they're able to escape their dangerous relationship and find comfort and safety in shelters like the one behind me. Abuse Alternatives in Bristol provides an emergency shelter, therapy, court advocacy, and much more. They, you know, tried to just guide me in a direction without putting too much pressure. During the holidays, she was upset about making it a normal one for her children but abuse alternatives took care of that as well. I had no idea how I was going to do Christmas for my kids, and they saw that Santa came. Since leaving her husband and coming to abuse alternatives, she has noticed an improvement in her children's attitudes. They smile more. They're open more. They're happy, and they feel safe. With the recent tragedy in Glade Spring, this victim knows that a similar fate could have been hers if she never got the courage to escape. I think if uh, I didn't have abuse alternatives to turn to, that you would be doing the story that you've done on her, on me. Kelsey Lair, 19 News, Bristol.
And welcome back to Open Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you have tuned in us with us tonight right here on the Soul of America Radio Network. Uh, part of what we have been doing is featuring testimonials even from victims and survivors that have gone through domestic violence. And tonight, for those of you that are listening to us for the very first time, you may be tuned in by way of inter- Internet, uh, or you may be listening in by way of the telephone. This is a very, very crucial subject matter. For those of you that are joining us now, we have been spotlighting tonight the story there that has happened in Central Florida here, and that's once again the story of the man that stabbed his wife before uh, shooting their two kids and himself, uh, Henry Ramon Brown, age 30 there, and uh, it's been a tragedy, as we've talked about the fact of uh, that oftentimes abusers stop at no length to carry out what they desire to carry out, in this case here, hiding inside of the trunk of his wife's car and jumping out and stabbing her repeatedly as she walks out of Denny's. I mean, not out of Denny's, I'm sorry, don't want to give Denny's any credit here. Walks out of Chili's, uh, Chili's restaurant, and, and stabs her repeatedly. And as he does that, he then attempts to try to drag her body into the bushes nearby the restaurant, goes back inside and goes around it, and at the same time, we have individuals that they're there inside of the restaurant uh, who, of course, sees what is happening. The individuals just so happen to be a paramedic and a nurse, and they go to try to tend to Sharicia Brown and, and, and her life-threatening wound, and only for Henry to come back around and to run them over along with her with the car causing one of them to be in the hospital in stable condition. His wife, Sharicia, who who succumbs to the injuries of the stab wounds and things. And if it wasn't enough, the fact that he then leaves, drives to Altamont Springs nearby, changes vehicle, gets his Ford F-150, goes to the babysitter, pick up their one-year-old daughter, four-year-old son, head back out towards Central Florida Hospital. And as he heads there, going there because he knew that's where his wife was being taken, shows up inside only to be recognized by the staff, security staff, and deputies. He then began to fire upon them, shooting at them, managed to get out of there, go back to his truck, jump in the truck, take off, and as he's being chased, they were able to disable the vehicle. But when they got to him, only to see that the one-year-old and the four-year-old had been shot and killed, Mr. Brown had killed himself. I want to open this up tonight, Erico 323-784-9638. I want to open this up tonight to talk about the tragedy of these type of cases that continue to hunt our society and hunt our, uh, you know, our lives at large. Here's what we call a formalicide because this individual killed everyone. He killed, he killed the wife, he killed the children, and then he killed himself. 
there had been a restraining order that already injunction order that had been taken out in November. This guy had been charged with domestic battery before. They married in 2012, had the son that first year, and just had the daughter here recently, a year ago. There have been problems with domestic violence on Henry's part. Wouldn't let go, wouldn't stop, and in many cases would not get help. And for this tragedy to play out this way, it has definitely shaken Central Florida area. It's tragedy to think of a one-year-old, four-year-old kid being killed, lives being taken so brutally by their own father. I know that I have some of my friends and colleagues and experts that are on the line, and there are many others that are listening. But I I want to have really a a conversation with you tonight. I want to have a conversation with you tonight because I want you to understand, you know, you hear these stories, but understand these are real people. This is not not some fictional character here. These are real people. Here are people that folks go to work with. Here are people that folks live next door to. Here are people that folks, uh, you know, that folks attend the same church with. Here are people that folks encounter, and their lives are gone in one instance, tragically gone. Area code 323-784-9638. That's the number to reach us. I invite your question and a comment. If you're on the line or you desire to call in to share a comment or question, simply hit the number. Once you get on, hit the number one on your keypad. That lets the engineer know that you want to get on the air, and we'll get you on the air. This is a tragic incident. There's no other way around this. This takes place at a very crucial time. And uh, I, I definitely want to share some light. I, my dear friend is on the uh, airway, and uh, he's on the air, and I want to bring him in today. Our dear friend, our uh, former Deputy Chief uh, Michael Blow, I want to say good evening to you, and thank you for joining us. And uh, I am somewhat distraught as much as I hear and see these cases happening, but this this is such a tragic case. Young couple, 31, 30 years old, and something that just took place, and I, I can only imagine what's happening even there in the, in, in Sanford, Florida, and that area, and just even the Chili's there where this took place at, and it is tragic. And I, I know that you, you've seen many things like this in your time at, in law enforcement, but I would like for you to just shed some light on some things that, are, that, that we've shared here tonight about this situation and many similar things. Well, first off, good good evening, and um, I'm sorry that we have to have a conversation around such a tragic incident. But as you said, uh, Pastor Dicklin, this is an incident that's going to impact the entire community. Uh, certainly the, the patrons of the restaurant will never be the same. You have the families of, of the victim and the suspects who will never be the same, and just the, the community at large. Uh, when, whenever you hear about something this tragic, you you start, of course, and you don't need a, any degree of sophisticated training to start asking some real basic questions. The main one is, is why this occurred. And so I'm certain at this point now all those agencies that were involved in this, Sanford and the, and the respective uh, sheriff's departments that were engaged in this are now digging into this matter with, with due diligence because there, there are so many things you want to look at. Um, 
you know, particularly now you want to know, you know, what would make a person do this? Now, obviously, it, it well, I can't say obviously, but it appears that this was certainly something that was planned, uh, particularly when you look at the fact that uh, you, you wouldn't just wake up one day and, and just decide at that spare moment that you're going to hide in the trunk and then you're going to switch cars and, you know, all the other things that this gentleman allegedly did. Uh, that, that took a degree of planning to uh, to carry this out. And then, of course, as we're looking at this from the, from the postscript, uh, now we want to start looking at a, a lot of different things. I'm certainly certain they're going to be interested in, in his autopsy results uh, to find out, you know, was he on any type of a substance and, and was that part of his background? Then, of course, there'll be the the elements of a, some sort of a psychological autopsy that they'll look at in terms of what was his state of mind, is this, you know, has he had issues and mental challenges and other types of psychological patterns and, and deficiencies over the past years and throughout his life. And then, of course, you, you're going to have to go back and start looking at the history of domestic violence in that house, uh, you know, looking at premise histories and other types of things that just kind of get a picture. And Because you're going to have to tell the story of, of what occurred here, what led up to this. Uh, this obviously was something a lot larger than just uh, the the heads of that household having a disagreement. Something has been brewing for many years. And, and, and then, of course, there, you know, then you got you, then you go back and start wondering about what symptoms did we miss? Because certainly, everyone in that household at some point was probably displaying a symptom that something was going wrong. Whether it was the children, you know, did, were they coming to school with bruises and and withdrawn and not performing well in school, or was the was the victim was she not? Uh, coming to work on time or was she exhibiting psychological stress and, and or physical distress at work? Did any coworkers or any friends or family know things outside of the fact that she did seek a protective order and those types of things, but were there other indicators that may have indicated that this was about to occur in such a tragic fashion? And again, it, it, you know, we always hear those antidotes that, you know, I saw this or I heard this or, you know, I wasn't quite sure. So there's a lot of information that they're going to have to gather so that they can, so, and, and I hate to use this word, but sort of bring this to closure so that, um, you know, they have some understanding of what could have caused a person to have this much rage and this much uh, hostility, homicidal tendencies, if you will, to uh, to commit such an act, so it's very tragic. Very tragic. You know, one of the things, and, 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 and thank you so much for sharing that light on it. One of the things that I think, when the general public, and that's John and Mary Q. Public, when 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 this type of news break, you know, the first question is that how can a person do such a thing? You know, what led up to it? Oftentimes, people try to find out. You know, you know, it's, it's easy to, to to rush to what I call the snap. Theory, the other person just snapped. Well, I think you did a great job of outlining the fact that it, it wasn't a snap in the f- sense of the fact that uh, you don't find yourself in the trunk of someone's car, you know, off of a snap. That took planning. That that took knowing where they were. That took uh, you know getting your keys or whatever way you got in there, hiding in there, waiting for the precise time for her to come out. 
that took the degree of planning. So there's some premeditation inside of that. As you said and what and what was also reported is the fact here's a couple that only been married uh since two thousand twelve and that's when they got together. And 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 they had a child immediately that same year. And all of these things have transpired. Uh, domestic violence, according to what we've read and found out so far, was a part of this relationship almost from the very beginning. And at the point that she got to the place that she, you know, called uh, law enforcement, uh, he was charged with domestic battery. Uh, she later, uh, of course, was able to get an, uh, an injunction. But the state attorney said there was not enough evidence, I guess, to to move forward and prosecute the case, which left him somewhat on the outside. Uh, what we don't know, was there any other thing ordered for him? Was Apparently, uh, maybe he wasn't ordered to any type of batterers intervention program or treatment or anything of that uh, of that sort, but it left her really as an open target. And an open target in sense of here, and this is what we gather from it, that she was a hardworking woman. She was still working. The kids was at the babysitter. Uh, uh, you know, uh, after work, she decides to go buy chilies, you know, to eat or drink or whatever it was, and she meets her fate. She meets her fate on that night as a result of this happening. And what is what is serious? I mean, there are pictures that are uh, that are on, on social media and things of them, and uh, definitely more uh, more happier times. And we're seeing those things play out. And you see this picture, and, I, and, and I, I say this for this reason, Chief, you can understand this, because a lot of people find themselves in great disbelief when they, from the outside, look at it and say, wow, they look so happy. Oh, wow, you know, look at the pictures we saw of them on, on, on Facebook and on social media. Though they seem like such a wonderful couple, and yet it's still underneath. There was a lot of things that was happening. Uh, definitely when we started looking at, at, at the situation becoming uh, more lethal as time went on, and then this tragedy happened. And I guess if I have a question for you, Chief, it would be this. Somewhere between the time that he stabbed her, viciously stabbed her, then tried to pull her body into the bushes, get up and go around the restaurant, go around the restaurant. You have patrons of the restaurant who happen to be a paramedic and a nurse who sees this runs out to attend to his wife. He then comes back around and runs them over. At what point does this now begin to escalate? Was it his greatest fear that they would tend to her and she would live? Or what is it that caused him to go to that extreme, that not only was it now directed toward her, but it became directed toward for all we know, perfect strangers and bystanders. Well, you know, you raised some great questions, and and that's going to be part of the whole, that's going to be one significant uh, milestone of the investigation as they move forward with this. Because, you know, certainly when you you see that type of behavior, that says that there was an, an incredible amount of rage and determination. Uh, you know, you've already, I mean, you've done this in the middle of the of the day at a restaurant, and now not only have you, you stabbed your victim, 
but now you've decided to run over other people in a car and then eventually you get into a shootout and switching cars and all this type of behavior clearly shows that um, there was some some serious things going on with this guy. Uh, I, I think that he probably knew he was going to do this, but, you know, as as things happen, you sort of didn't anticipate certain reactions. You know, maybe he didn't anticipate the patrons becoming engaged with this and so forth. But clearly he was determined that his main objective was to make sure that his family was harmed. And so it, it's hard to speculate why he reacted the way he did, but, again, that's why it's so important that they need to get some background information, find out. I mean, they may, you know, for example, and this is purely speculative, but they may find out that when they when they do the autopsy, there are high levels of, of cannabis and, and other types of, of drugs and, and intoxicants in the system, which may explain some of the behavior. And I say some of the behavior, but certainly the fact that uh, there was prior Incident and that the the wife did apply for a protective order uh, shows that this was going on for quite a while and, and it just unfortunately spilled over in that parking lot and and of course we want to look at uh, were they having problems were they on the rocks was was you know were there other people involved in this relationship was this a, a triangle of some sort that he was um, either he either imagined or or was possibly a reality. Now, certainly none of that is any excuse to take a life. And please don't, um, I don't want any of the audience to think that that is a justification. There is no justification for taking another person's life. However, when you're dealing with a person that has deficiencies in terms of their ability to reason and reconcile when they're having difficulties, these types of things, when you combine it with that and possibly the the use of alcohol or possibly the use of, of drugs, when you put that combination together and you shake it up, this is what you have, unfortunately. So there's so many things that need to, to be looked at in this particular case, and I know that um, right now there's probably a team of investigators that are doing just those types of things to, to make sure that they can figure out they could put that time level, that time uh, line together to figure out what was going on. Because I mean, you even want to look at things such as in that in that affidavit for the protective order. What was it that was missing that did not provide the prosecutor with enough information to pursue this? And and these are are important questions. Um, was it, you know was it there was no articulation about you know, fear or, or some of the things this person, the, the suspect may have said or done. And that's going to be something else that's going to be interesting to, to find out as the investigation moves on. So I'm sure there's just uh, there's so many things and so many questions. And, and, again, when you have something this tragic, you don't need a law enforcement background to start asking some common sense questions about how in the world did we get to this point where you now have two three innocent people that are dead, and you have other good Samaritans that were injured in the process of trying to intervene. I mean, this is, this is again, just a, an amazing uh, example of, of, of what happens when a person does not know how to deal with conflict in, in their personal life. 
you know, Chief, you bring up some very important things. It's interesting that, you know, after this tragedy of happened, we start talking about the investigation that goes in to find out certain things. And, and, I, and, 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 and I allude to this point here. It is almost required that we have those type of uh, investigations to go on with, before we even get involved with certain people. You know, do we know their background? Do we know their temperament? Do we understand, you know, the things that they may be wrestling with? Do we know that? Or, or, or oftentimes, you know, do people find themselves blinded to what they want to see or what they want to hear or what they want to feel? Because these individuals don't generally just become that way overnight. They don't. I mean, there there's a situation where I understand where, where you're saying if, if there was a, a, you know, a point of a, you know, of a triangle going on or uh, some distrust or something that has been proven and, and those type of things. And even inside of that, maybe one is very angry and those type of things. But uh, once again, I, I side on the side that anger is a natu- natural emotion, but violence is really a choice. We we choose to be violent. I mean, I can get angry, but there's a there's a, a array of different things I can choose to do as, in my response to anger versus uh, being violent. And in this case here, uh, one of the things that have gone on here is the fact that, I mean, you've got to consider the people that she works with. Even if he was working with people that he works with, what goes on in their mind in terms of thinking about the fact those will be there will be those saying, I didn't know it was that bad. There will be others saying that I told her that I told her that this guy was creepy and he should, you know, that she needs to get as far away as possible. And there are going to be a lot of talk there. But the reality is now is that the community, people at large, are impacted by what has taken place. And it's going to be a while before people really be able to grip what has happened here. This is a tragedy within itself, and I want you to stay with us. I want to take another commercial break and stay with us. And those of you that are listening, uh, you listen to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Holiness. We invite your questions and a comment right after this commercial break. We'll be right back, and we invite you with your questions and comment. Once again, you listen to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Holiness. This is J.R. Thicklin, and we'll be right back after this commercial break. Wisdom 
in a relationship, needing a new direction to go in in an abusive situation. That's why we're here. This is the Soul of America Radio. survivor of domestic violence. No one ever understands how hard it is to leave a domestic violence relationship unless they have been in one themselves. I don't tell people that I'm a survivor of two domestic violence relationships because they always look at me like I'm still a victim. I'm a victim of domestic violence. My family and friends don't know. They all think he's the perfect husband. I hate him to death. The hardest part about dating after my marriage is telling them I am a survivor of domestic violence. No one wants to deal with that. I finally got the guts to report the domestic violence from my ex-husband, who is the father of my children. I think it's made my anxiety worse. I'm a survivor of domestic violence. I suffer from PTSD because of the abuse I suffered over two years. I've lived with domestic violence my entire life. I can't even imagine what it would be like to have a regular family. I'm a domestic violence survivor. Dealt with it for seven long years. The memories, flashbacks, and nightmares haunt me every day, but I pray I will see the light again. I shared my story of being a victim of domestic violence with a friend. He said to me, how could someone stay with an abusive person? That's so stupid. I couldn't believe how insensitive he was. I'm a survivor of domestic violence and I still live in fear. I never thought I would be a victim of domestic violence. I've never imagined that I would have to get the police to rescue me from someone I love. How do I learn to live or love? I survived domestic violence. I am still alive. I am safe. I am strong. I am a survivor of domestic violence. It's been eight years, but I now have my self-esteem and self-worth back. And I know I'm beautiful. Hi. Oh, hey guys. Uh, Sarah. Sarah. Oh, up here. We made a series. It's coming on November 18th. Please watch it. Get it here. There. Over here. There. Over there. You got it. Just I think you got it. Okay. If you yeah, look I'm out there, there so you can see it. It'll be released 2015, November. Okay. And welcome back to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here tonight on the Soul of America Radio Network. Each and every Monday night, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock in the Central Time Zone, 7 o'clock in the Mountains, 6 o'clock in the Pacific, and wherever you may be around the globe, this is where you find us each and every Monday night. Now, we have been in the midst of a very, very strong conversation, particularly highlighting uh, the situation here that took place in Seminole County, uh, central part of Florida, as we're looking at a man, 30-year-old man, Mr. Henry Brown, who allegedly not only has stabbed his wife, his estranged wife stabbed her multiple times, uh, 
ran her over along with a bystander who was trying to attend to her, then goes to uh, his apartment complex and changes vehicle, get into Ford F-150, goes to uh, the babysitter's house, pick up the one-year-old daughter, four-year-old son, takes off, head back to Central Florida Hospital where the wife is uh, definitely at that point suffering and at this time probably pronounced dead already, only to get into a uh, shootout with the law enforcement security, gets back in his truck, takes off, the truck gets disabled, and when they arrive to the truck, he has killed the one-year-old and the four-year-old and himself. Tragedy of great proportion have happened. And as the lines are open, area code 323-784-9638, that is the number that you can reach us. And if you have a question and or comment, simply hit the number one on your keypad. That lets our engineer know that you want to get on the air. We've been very fortunate to have on the air with us our dear friend, and oftentimes I call him our, our special advising uh, guest there, uh, former Deputy Chief Michael Blow is on the air with us tonight. He was there before we went off. But also joining us tonight is our dear friend and colleague, uh, and I say our, meaning both of our dear friend and colleague, none other than uh, Dr. Douglas, is on the uh, uh, line with us as well. And so, Dr. D, I'm going to welcome you to Hope and Healing. I know you've been listening to this story here, and uh, uh, Chief always gives such a great insight inside of it. And it's one of the things I love about it because he gives a real, what I call a sweeping uh, understanding of so many different things that are moving at one time inside of this. And I, I just knew that you probably heard some things there that, that raised some uh, uh, some questions and a need to respond from yourself. So I want to say welcome tonight, and uh, uh, thank you for joining us. Well, good evening, um, Pastor T and Chief Blow and the entire audience. Um, as you know, I didn't see the, this on the news until you brought it to my attention, and because I'm somewhat investigative, I'd like to get to the answers um, of how and why it came to this, and so after a little bit of research, i like to explain some things to our audience because I also study cultures, and this whole effect, I noticed the news, the media indicated that it's domestic violence that began in December of last year, but that's not true. They only say that because it was brought to their attention around that time. But this couple, this couple, after going through some investigative research, each one of them lived a life of domestic violence prior to meeting one another. Henry Brown, who was from Orlando, that was his lifestyle. And he was in trouble a lot when he was growing up and in high school. As a result... The Trinity, trying to help him in his, in his community and so forth, rather than him going away to an institution where he could get some mental health or going away to be incarcerated for some of the troubles that he found himself in as a young boy, he was able, his family helped him to get to the Trinity College in Jacksonville, Florida. And that's how he got to Trinity College where he met his bride. Now, Teresia, she's from a small town in Arizona. I think it's called Tennelly, Arizona. And she actually grew up on the Navajo Reservation camp. Mm -hmm. And the Navajo culture 
especially they believe that they believe in domestic violence and sexual assault among their children. Okay. They that's what they that's part of the culture, that old culture. Not the culture as it continues today, but that old culture as you know it comes forward. So a lot of the young people attempt to break away from it. Sharifia was fortunate enough to apply and receive a grant from the federal government to further her education. She wanted to come out of that way of uh, some of the beliefs that were going on in that culture. So she was fortunate enough to for her village and, and the grants and so forth to go on, and she went to Trinity uh, College in Jacksonville, where she met her husband. Now, keeping in mind that although that was a part of her growing up, she somewhat believed that the husband is the dominant. You know, and that in many cultures, not just the the American Indians, but in many cultures, sometimes they believe the husband is the dominant. So she was attracted to this young man, and he liked to be the dominant because that's where he came from, and he. He wasn't dominant when he was younger, but he had an, an opportunity to exercise this dominant gene that he had with her because she was she was submissive. So they married. They continued in their relationship inside their house. You never know what goes on behind closed walls. But you can look at that little baby's face, the little boy, and his expressions in all of his pictures. He is never smiling not in any of his Facebook pictures, is he smiling. So he was probably experiencing what we don't know what goes on behind the four walls, the closed doors. But this family was having some difficulty all along, not the normalcy of America. They were having the normalcy of tragedies in their young lives. And then, of course, this wasn't the first time he hit her in December. It's just that she is now talking with her coworkers and, and they're seeing the bruises on her and then the girl, you don't have to take this. You can get help. And that's what she wanted. She didn't want to be in the way that she had lived as a young child in her village. And she went for help. Now, this young man, because he is where he is in his lifetime, he often and many men who have this domestic background, violent background, they say, if you ever tell, they call it, tell the white man on me, I'm going to get you. And you're not going to take my children anywhere. These are my kids. That's the only thing he ever owned was his children. And he didn't have anything else before. Unfortunately, they did not graduate from college because they went into their early marriage. And he was not employed. He had been unemployed most of their married life. And she was the only working spouse. He would work enough so that he could try to get his children, and the court looked at it and said, well, at least he has a job. I blame the court system a lot for what, of them not following through as they should and as the records tell us they could. So this was something that was going all along. Now, when he went to get the children, it wasn't his intention to kill the children that's from my perception of putting everything together. It was he had actually traumatized himself by stabbing her. And he went to get the children, came to the hospital and said, let's go see 
how mommy's doing. This is not the first time he's gone to the hospital to see how mommy's doing after he's beaten her. Okay. Now, I don't even know if he actually remembered that he ran over the innocent two people. See, that may not have happened. And I hope they find the right uh, analyst, you know, psychiatric analyst, who's going to help the police to get through this study because he he was not of his right mind. That doesn't excuse his behavior. and it, But it does say that a lot of this is going on, and it's, a lot of it is blamed on cultural differences and understanding and the fact that we don't have enough educators out there to help people with these misunderstandings. I just wanted to well, bring I'm, that note forward. Well, I'm, I'm you know, sitting here, and, and, and I'm totally enlightened. I'm totally enlightened because you gave a very, very uh, sufficient background information on this particular case, and I totally concur with you that definitely, you know, uh, this abuse definitely was occurring long before December or November, as some reports uh, talk about the fact of that time. Uh, the way that this have escalated, there definitely has been a history inside of this. And the fact that when I did look at the pictures, I immediately said that she was either Native American or she was Hispanic or one or the other, uh, but definitely culturally uh, that is the case. I took the liberty to look at some of the pictures, and you're exactly right. Not one picture do you see the children smiling or laughing at all. So, you know, the, here here's a situation where, this has become their norm inside of it. I'm concerned, however, about whether or not this incident sends sends a wrong message to bystanders, to innocent people, you know, to people that may want to get involved. In this case here, I think for most of us, uh, if we saw something tragically like this happen, it would be our first instinct, too, to go and try to aid and assist the victim or the person who's there who has been injured. But in a case here where they were assisting and only to then being ran over by, uh, allegedly ran over by him, you know, how many people, I mean, you hear it even now, say, well, I don't want to get involved with that. That's not my business. I don't get involved. And yet it's still we understand that if people don't get involved, oftentimes situations only get worse. So my, my concern is how do we – how do we find strength still in the message to encourage people to get involved, although these type of things happen? Well, I so would that say that, that uh, I would say that a lot of times when you said people getting involved, it's how they get involved. And you know, in our trainings, when we go out and we talk to symposiums of people who are there to get some instruction, we ask them and we explain to them, do not directly involve yourself, but go and right. get the right, the resources and authorities. That's how you get involved. I guess they ran to her attention because she's laying on the ground bleeding and so forth. Absolutely. And they ran and to her medical, attention. Of, they were and then, personnel, right. Right, and then medical personnel, right. So that's what they did. Now, that's their job. That's what's expected of them. But when you talk to the general layperson and they said, well, I saw the woman laying there, but I was afraid to go to her, you know, like you said, what do you do? What do you, they, that, that type of involvement, you can't stop. But the involvement where you knock on the door and say, stop screaming in there. I'm going to call the police. No, you don't do that. You know, but here, Absolutely. these folks, they were trying to save her life. Well, and, and also, when you're talking about... Uh, 
people engaging in these as 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 an assistant, if you will, in, in trying to resolve this. Uh, I know one of the things that many agencies will advise citizens when they see things going on, uh, certainly that you, you always have to put the common sense element out there. You know, certainly you don't want to do anything that's going to get yourself killed or seriously injured and so forth and try to be the best witness that you can provide good information, let 911 give them good descriptions, directions of travel, um, and, and those types of things. But there's also that inherent nature that, that some people have, not everyone has it, but some people have, where they, they, they just they have to have to get involved. And, and, you know, it's like I'm watching this person in this situation, and I just have to do something. And so you're, you're always going to have that segment of the population, no matter where you are. <clears throat> But clearly, Dr. Douglas is right. Um, many people, they, they, the the common thread and the common advice that's given is be a good witness. Get as much information as you can, uh, certainly when it's safe to do so. Uh, provide any assistance that you can. Render whatever medical assistance you can. And, and they kind of go into the Good Samaritan laws and those types of things, you know, so people know that uh, not only are they supported ethically, but legally, they also have uh, some protections uh, as well. But in this situation, I think that those that were involved certainly displayed a degree of heroism that's that's remarkable. But uh, again, it was such you know such an unusual circumstance that and 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 you know you also have to remember that 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 perception delay. You're looking at this while you're eating the salad. You see this happens like is this really going on? And then right. by the time your mind processes it and you start to realize, oh, my gosh, I have to do something here. I need to call and do something. Uh, you, you know, that, that's quite a decision to, to have to make in, in terms of, of becoming involved. Yeah, and, and, and we understand in, in terms of this. Here's something, you know, as we see things escalate, seemingly there's a greater pull on us to do something. In, in, in some cases, uh, you know, as Dr. Douglas was talking about, you know, coworkers may begin to have seen signs and they may have, you know, of course, gave advice like, girl, you got to do something. You need to get out of this or whatever and, and those type things. My, my concern oftentimes is, is who's really speaking in, in the ear of the perpetrator? Are they really getting – are they getting that type of accountability type of thing, man, you need to get help, or, man, what's going on with you? Why you keep your, putting your hands on it? And if they're not getting it, could it be because people feel like they need to stay in their lane or they don't feel that they, they, uh, they don't feel like it is their place to say something to an individual? Well, you raise an excellent point, and, and that's one of the things that that is always a challenge. You know, for example, uh, you know, no, Dr. Douglas, and, and you also, Pastor Thicklin, you all have been instrumental in providing training. But you see, on every level here, there was a degree of awareness that may or may not have been observed. For example, as I alluded to earlier, you know, when those when those children were coming to school, if they were, you know, in, in school and so forth, were there were there teachers observing any activity that may make them say, you know. They, you know, normally he's a bright person and, and very active, but I've just noticed the last couple of days he's been very quiet and withdrawn and those types of things. Was, was there something there, or was there a coworker 
that, that may have seen the victim. And just, you know, normally, you know, Sharifi is very engaged and outgoing and very thorough. And I noticed her reports her a couple of days. She seems rather disheveled. You know, were those types of things available? And, and on that level, was was there any type of intervention or, or, or an observation made? And and certainly when we get to the, you know, the, the affidavit, uh, what, what was missing out of that that, that, cause the, the prosecutor's office to say, no, we don't quite have enough to, to move forward with this. And then, as you said, when this guy, did, did anyone else notice, hey, man, your, your family, something doesn't seem right here. You okay? Uh, what's going on? Or did they make that offer to him, and then he's just in such a, a rage at that point inside, not necessarily wanting to share at that moment, but he, I hear you, but, you know, putting that in the back of his mind, saying, I'm not listening to this. I'm already know how I'm going to handle this situation. So it, it's, um, you know, on on a lot of different levels here, I would I would be willing to say that there were indicators by all members of the family that something was going wrong. And, and I think that's why it's so important that the training that you and Dr. Douglas have been engaged in is so critical, you know, throughout the country in terms of making people aware of those signs, um, making people aware that there are resources out here that, that are available, you know, not even from 911 right down to the pastor or counselor or whoever. It's just so important. And this is this is the clear example of being able to recognize those indicators. Uh, I don't know whether you all remember, you know, back in 2006, we had that case in, uh, in, in Prince George's County involving Yvette Cade, you know, where her husband walked Absolutely. into her place of business, doused her with a flammable liquid and set her on fire. You know? I mean, something yeah. was going on in that situation. Fortunately, she lived to tell about it. And, and you know, she's been an advocate for assisting others who have been uh, in these situations. But can you imagine someone is so enraged and there's so many demons going on, you know, those issues, demons, if you will, that they walk right. to their spouse's place of employment and set them on fire. You know, horrible. You know, you speak of those those tragedies, but my concern is, like you mentioned, the training. Now, the um, the judge that made the decision, the police officers that were involved. I wonder if they are up on the training. You know, they they looked at the case. They said, "We don't see anything. We don't see enough evidence." And and actually, what does he mean? You don't see enough evidence. The woman has come. Well, the bruises, according to the statements I read, the bruises didn't match her story. You know, so they used that to try to pacify the situation and did not take the time. I guess maybe it's money that the courts don't have the money to actually see that this individual who is abusing this woman has a history of it that goes back. And the, the same thing now, we as officials and authoritarians in our work, we look at and we recognize these signs because we are educated to recognize those signs. Even at the church that we attend, people come in and the tragedy that's going on in their lives, not everyone in the church, not every leader in the church is able to help. And so all they can do is, is try to refer them to places. But then then what's necessary? What's the next step? What do we do to keep this from continuing to happen? I say 
engage in group meetings, engage in counseling sessions, engage in let's talk, you know, among peers, among coworkers. And this this is happening a lot already in the federal government that has a um, have plans and advising counselors to help people along the way. If it's recognized at work, like it was recognized in Chile, then the third party coworker who is feeling the suffering and anxiety of their coworker can report it, and then they have to go into a um, into a, a session to talk about family actions. So I'm not certain if Chile's is up on that, but evidently her coworkers who recognized it. They could have gone maybe to others. I know that the Chili is part of the Darden restaurant chain, and the Darden restaurant chain does have those type of employee assistance type programs. But taking advantage of that, asking people that even if you have a child at home who is constantly cursing you out as a parent, turn to your employee. Don't be your employer. Don't be afraid to say, I want to get involved in a program that will help my family. And so no one was helping this young family. That was my concern. There's others out there. This is just an example. This just hit the media of one in a million. There's millions of And so what do we do? What do we do? We get out there and we train police officers. We we train judges, judges who have legal issues. Sometimes they need to obtain their training to understand how to apply the law. And that needs to be more open. But you know, know, one of the other things. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go right ahead. I I was just going to say, too, Dr. Douglas, and and all that training is is critical. And I think one other thing that may enhance it if you guys are not doing it already, and that is uh, I think there there also needs to be some time spent on how to to tell my story, if you will. I don't, because I, I think that it's very important that. When a person is 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 under duress and so forth, that at least they have an idea of this is the critical information that is going to be needed. So the the attorney or the magistrate or the commissioner understands what is happening to you, so that you know they're just some basic details that you you got to have in that affidavit, so that the there is a very clear picture about what's going on in in your situation. And certainly we're not encouraging embellishment, but the facts are what the facts are to make sure that those that factual information is transmitted in such a way that when that state's attorney or that commissioner or that magistrate or whatever that title is, when they look at that paperwork, they're like, oh, yeah, there's a problem here, and we need to move this forward so that um, this family can, can get out of this situation. You know, and, and both of you hit some very good points. And one of the problems that we have in, in, in a lot of different states and a lot of different jurisdictions is the fact that they've limited, uh, to a certain degree, the the power or the authority of the advocate, uh, of the advocate that is oftentimes there to help lead and guide those uh, particular victims, to the point that exactly what you just mentioned there, where uh, they're not allowing them to help you know, fill out that injunction order out of a fear that perhaps they may persuade them to put things that are not there. One of the things, because one of the things that I'm always very sure to tell victims when I encourage them uh, to, about going to get an injunction order, if that's what they choose to do, I encourage them ahead of time to be specific, to be very specific about what has happened. Describe your fears. 
Describe your pain. Describe what was said to you and what strength or what tone that it was said to you. I felt like when they did this or I felt like when they raised that hammer to be as descriptive as possible so that there will so that there will be more of a, a preponderance of evidence that shows uh, this person has a propensity of causing harm and violence to them. And I think that's important. And to the other point that I heard Dr. Douglas talk about, and we have to do a greater job with this, is the fact that we've got to we've got to come out of our customary uh, just you know sitting around reacting to things and understand that we need to be proactive. When I served at a particular ministry in my in uh, in my early days, I can recall that one of the things that happened with the staff is that we all had to be cross trained. We had to be cross-trained with how to do the cameras and everything else that, you know, the television media, we were cross-trained to do so. And, and, the, and the thought was the fact that we need to all be exposed to knowing enough to be able to at least get along, uh, to get things going. I think it happens in a lot of settings where there isn't that group session, there isn't those discussions. As early as today, as a matter of fact, just before I decided that tonight, that this would be our topic for tonight's show, I received a phone call from a person I did not know who was referred to me by a uh, by a mutual colleague. And uh, Dr. Douglas, you know, the mutual colleague and that of uh, Minister LaDonna Combs there of Detroit. And one of her former colleagues, who's now relocated to Florida, actually called me, and her question was about this particular case. And was saying, Pastor, do you have any suggestions or anything that you could suggest far as uh, basically crisis intervention? How do even the domestic violence agency and those uh, entities, how do they handle this from here? Because I would say this, when these type of tragedies happen, it raises the eyebrows and raises the conscious level of many people who may be currently in a very volatile situations. And people want to know, and, and they're, oftentimes they're going to look at one thing. They're going to look at that piece that talked about the fact there was uh, there was a restraining order, an injunction out. They're going to look at the fact that uh, when there was not enough evidence, according to the state attorney, to carry this case forward. They're going to look at all the things of what did not happen, and it will inform either their fear or their trust. In informing their fear, they're saying things like, well, she had an injunction order. It didn't save her. That informs their fear versus the fact of, uh, you know, being able to, you know, what, what what difference would it have made? Would it have made a significant difference had he, you know, if charges had been brought against him and, and other things that would have happened inside of that. But oftentimes we don't have a conversation. These things happen here, and a lot of the service providers have to get out of their walls have to get out of their walls of their place and really reach the community where where people are being being impacted by this and really talk about here are the things that are, are, are available to you. These are the type of things that needs to happen if this happened. And back to your point, uh, Chief Blow, even when it comes to the fact of an injunction order, what does it mean? You know, how to be specific inside of that, you know, uh, carrying out the things that you need to carry out and all those things that are there. And when those things are there, I think it, 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 it gives people a little bit more confidence rather than dealing with what we're dealing with now because there's a traumatized community, I promise you, there in uh, Central Florida. It's a traumatized community. 
It's a community that has been traumatized on a number of levels. A four-year-old kid, a one-year-old kid, a 31-year-old woman, and a 30-year-old man all gone in one major swoop incident. One that may have been boiling for a while but came to a head last night. These are interesting things that I think that we have to be able to do and look at uh, more. I mean, more awareness, more awareness, and uh, more awareness. And I was so glad, Dr. Douglas, when you start talking about cultural, we have to understand how people are informed culturally. What are things that inform belief system? If I've been told that I never walk across the street on a red light, then guess what? That's what I've known to do. And I may not walk across the street on a red light all over the tigers right behind me because I was told never to walk across the street on a red light. And for many people, it is to that point inside of their belief system, inside of the things that they believe and they've been informed. And we have to begin to have a broader knowledge and a broader perspective in addressing and understand what informs people. And what informs them gives us a very key to their behavior and their responses in these situations. You listen to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and we're right at the very uh, very tail end of our show, but uh, we've had some interesting dialogue. The board has been absolutely full tonight, and uh, we've had the pleasure of being able to dialogue th- with this. And a uh, special call-in guest tonight, uh, former Deputy Chief Michael Blow, as well as our dear friend and behavior scientist, Dr. Annette Douglas, and we're so glad to have both of you on the airways today. And, and I, I want to, as we get ready to wrap up this particular show, show here i i i want to hear from you and of uh, some ways of suggesting how do communities move on from here how do and when i say move on it's not that they're stuck but how do they move on in terms of better education how do they move on and being able to take lessons from these type tragedies i, I like what I, you said pastor t um about uh being specific and in helping people to to speak up and how to speak up and to explain their pain because the the person they're talking to don't know it. So I really hope that listeners kind of paid attention to exactly what you were saying and all of that about speaking up. It's actually this is an issue. Domestic violence is a crime against human rights, and we've talked about. Uh, Black Lives Matters and all kind of issues regarding that. But this is the same thing. It's against human rights. It's against the fact that this is a young woman who grew up where women gender violence is very open. And then here's a situation in a man, a young man who grew up believing that the way of life is to be the dominant person over a submissive individual. And you say, how do we go next steps? Domestic violence, abusers, understand that this other person is a human being just like you. And whatever is tempering you, you feel that you need to commit some sort of violation against that individual. Remember, that person is a human being just like you. And the same person for the women or the men who are receiving this violence as uh, the abused, you know, you know, speak up when you go to the authoritarian and describe to them exactly what's happening. 
Don't just assume that they understand because they saw your mark. You know, just as though you're in a court to win money and you have to go and tell the court every piece of your body that hurts from a car accident, you go and you tell the court every piece of your body and your mind that hurts from the abuse that's been given to you. Absolutely. Great advice. Great advice. Chief Flo, I'm going to give you the last word as we're up on the last minute of two here. I think this is very crucial inside of what we're saying. Like I said, we have a board full of callers, and I know there are many that are out there listening, and we want to encourage everyone to be able to go to the podcast, even afterwards, be able to listen back to the show and share the show with someone else. Chief Flo. Well, again, I'll just say that this this tragedy certainly illustrates the need for for recognition and support and response and prevention. And you, you have so many elements of this situation that, that just cry out that one of those four need to be a part of that equation. And so I, I think, again, as I say every time that I, I have the privilege of, of joining you and Dr. Douglas, I'm just so thankful that you all keep this issue in the forefront because once again, we are talking about an issue and some lives have been lost. And no matter what the issue is, whether it's, you know, infidelity or finances or we just are, have irreconcilable differences, there's absolutely nothing that's going on that justifies taking the life or striking another person. It, it just, it, that can't happen. And so I just hope that from this tragedy that some some good work comes of this, whether it's in the form of, of policy or training or response or recognition, that will hopefully keep us from having to have this discussion next week or next month or next year. Absolutely. There's so much to be said, and you guys really uh, put it in such a great way. And one of the things, as we prepared to close the show, one of the things that is so important, and I think that we have to understand, and Dr. D, you're you, you, know, you alluded to it, and we, we've had a lot of movements. We've had the Black Lives Matter. We've had all those things to happen, and, and, and there's a need to a great degree. But I have constantly said, even before the Black Lives Matter movement became as popular as it is, perhaps my one lone voice did not sound, but I talked about valued lived lives. We have to understand the value of life. And when we live value lived lives, it changes the dynamic because it calls us to look at every life as having value. And we live those lives as if they have value. And when we understand that, Listen, it will inform the way we, the way that we handle people, the way that we address each other, and it also informed this here, the fact that when there is conflict, as undoubtedly there will be at some point, conflict doesn't have to mean the reaction to it is violent, but we can become people that understand the word resolution. How do we resolve? And that has to be something that is taught. That has to be something that is demonstrated. That has to be something that, that definitely uh, that has to be channeled and imparted from one generation to another. And that's what we have to do. Listen, our time is all gone, but once again, thank you both for being incredible guests 
always. And to all of you that are listening today, listen, stay tuned. Join us next week, Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 Central, 7 o'clock in the Mountain, 6 o'clock in the Pacific, right here on the Solar America Radio Network. And until next time, listen, have a great day. And remember, there is no excuse for domestic violence. Have a great day. Good night. Good night. Peace. Seen a lot of peace, but I've never been in this 